1: It's the Larry Kudlow Show. Free market prosperity starts here. Now, here's Larry Kudlow. Hello, everyone. I'm
2: Larry Kudlow. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. It is a great pleasure to be with you. And, gee whiz, you know I'm an optimist. I'm always an optimist. But I'll tell you, there's some bad policies developing in Washington, D.C., on the economic front, for sure, and other fronts as well. So we're going to talk about it today. More taxes, more spending, more recession, more inflation. I really don't like talking about these kinds of things because, because, because I am me. And I love America and I know how to fix this. But at the moment, I am not in charge and my friends are not in charge either. So, I say hello to everybody on the beautiful day today. By the way, join us during the week as we try to, as we try to walk with and discuss all these uh, silly things going on in Washington. But um, the name of the show is Cudlow. It's on Fox Business. Uh, that's our network. And uh, by the way, here for this show, you can live stream us. Uh, WABCRadio.com or just LarryKudlowShow.com. Live stream us on the internet all around the country, all around the world, and throughout the solar system. So look, all common sense, all really, all economic common sense, been thrown out the window just in the last week. Things happening that shouldn't happen, but we have. Uh, we have, first of all, this $280 billion bill. It's called Chips Plus. It's about bailing out uh, the semiconductor industry, which doesn't need bailing out and doesn't need subsidies. Now, look, at I know there's a national security issue here to protect American technology and innovation so we can maintain our lead in semiconductors, right? Chips are everything. Chips are inside everything. I get that. But we didn't need a $284 billion pork barrel, corporate welfare, log rolling, pork barreling bill. We didn't need it. We didn't need it at all. They should have just cut tax rates. Make America the most hospitable investment destination in the world. That's the way we should have played this. But instead... All these states, you know, senators getting money for their states and now the government. And the government's going to have strings. It's got to be a union shop, Davis-Bacon Law uh, wages, which will make everything more expensive. There'll be social justice provisions. There'll be slush funds for the Energy Department. Think Solyndra to the 10th power or the 20th power or the 50th power slush funds for the energy department, the commerce department, the transportation department. And by the way, the chip industry is very, very healthy, uh, very profitable, uh, $250 billion of private capital investment. We don't need the government. The private markets are doing it. And if you're going to, you know, you want to help, we should be helping all American industries. Um, Semiconductors, yes, but we should be helping all manufacturing. We should be helping fossil fuels. We should be helping services. Keep tax rates low. That's what they should have done. The Republicans, I don't know, 18 Republicans voted for this monstrosity. And then comes the Manchin-Schumer reconciliation bill, which is just another form of build back better. And this one has, I mean, you just got to hear this, 700 $740 billion in higher tax revenues. Okay, $740 billion. I'm getting my spreadsheet out here. $313 billion for a 15% corporate minimum tax. Then there's drug price controls, which are going to cost you $288 billion. Then there's IRS tax enforcement. This is as phony as a $3 bill. They're going to put in 80,000 more IRS agents, and supposedly that's going to raise $124 billion uh, for people who cheat on their tax forms. That's kind of nonsense. $14 billion for the carried interest. It's just awful. $433 billion on new spending. And it is predominantly green new deal climate change, okay, but on top of that, the extension uh, more subsidies for Obamacare, which is a very unpopular I mean these are middle class you know people making up to I don't know three four hundred thousand dollars a year three hundred four hundred thousand dollars a year are going to get subsidies, which just means the insurance companies are going to jack up their prices that's all. That's all thats that's this whole game. So you take the four hundred and thirty three billion from the uh, Mansion Schumer bill and you tack on the two eighty four billion from the chips bill and um, you got yourself you got yourself 870 billion of new spending. Oh by the way, this uh, Obamacare extension, subsidies extension, that scored poorly. They, they, you know, this is just a blue smoke and mirrors. They put in $64 billion for that just because, for three years, but it's actually over 10 years how it's going to be scored, $220 billion. So all I'm saying is this. We are in a recession. We got the numbers this week. The second quarter was negative. Let me get my sheets back here. Second quarter was negative. The first quarter was negative. Second quarter minus 0.9%. The first quarter minus 1.6%. So the first half of the year, the economy contracted. Call it uh, 1.5% in rat numbers. And the inflation rate, 9%. Two straight GDP quarters is a recession. I don't care what the Biden say or Jay Powell says. There has not been, since World War II, any time, or let me say every time, we got two straight negative GDP quarters, we went into a recession. So I don't care about the semantics. That's the deal. And the inflation rate is running about 9%, okay? So what do they do? They jack up spending, as I said, uh, by 850 some odd billion. dollars, And they jack up taxes by $740 billion. The tax hikes will deepen the recession. Make no mistake about that. And the additional spending will boost inflation. This is exactly what we do not want. And it is exactly what we do not need. And it throws all common sense out the window. I mean, you just know you don't jack up taxes in a recession. And it's going to be very damaging. We'll talk more about this tax hike, but the so-called 15% minimum corporate tax uh, will damage business investment, damage wages, damage productivity, Ironically, for Mansion, the coal industry will be about the hardest hit. West Virginia. Joe Manchin threw in, broke my heart. We're not going steady anymore. I'm giving him my fraternity ring. Ha ha, that's a joke. But you get my gist. He disappointed everybody. And uh, Kirsten Cinema Center Cinema, who has also been strong in stopping these build back better nonsensical, hyperactive woke, Green New Deal ideas. I think she's going to go along with it. I hope she doesn't, but I think she will. And that means, you know, in the next week or two, we're going to get a monstrosity of a bill that's going to damage the economy. That's all that's happening here. So we'll talk about this over the course of the show. We've got a lot of great uh, guests today and uh, try to piece it together for you. But that's the overview. It's not good. And I will say one more point here before we take a quick break. You know, conservatives believe in limited government, not hyperactive government, not government that uh, is uh, on a binge of regulatory, central planning, the administrative state, That's expanded government. That's big government socialism. That's a bunch of central planners and unelected bureaucrats who are trying to call the shots on energy and the Green New Deal and ending fossil fuels, things like that, also calling the shots a war against businesses, a war against profits, a war against successful earners, a war against the wealthy. That's big government socialism. Conservatives like myself, and I hope many of our listeners, we are for limited government. Limited government. We're for free market capitalism, not big government socialism. And unfortunately, these bills that passed, or the one bill the Chip's bill passed, the reconciliation bill probably passed, these are the direct opposite of the philosophy of limited government. And that's the body blow here. And that's the cause of the recession. And that's the cause of the inflation. In 18 months, the Bidens have brought down the entire economy, which was so strong and healthy. 6% growth, less than 2% inflation. That was the legacy of Donald Trump. That was 18 months ago. Look what they've done. It's not an easy thing to do, by the way. But all these woke economics... All this modern monetary theory, all this big government socialism has temporarily inflicted big damage on our country. Not to speak of the border problem, not to speak of the crime problem, not to speak of the parents in the schools, education problem, and all the crazy cancel culture, cancel history ideas. We want limited government. We want small government. We want a healthy private sector. We want free private enterprise. I don't want government spending and directing and planning and telling us what to do and chasing us around for the last tax dollar. That's the problem here. No darn common sense left. Republicans got mangled in the last week or two. Anyway, let me take a break. I'm Larry Kudlow. We'll come back on the other side. I want to talk a little bit about this crazy 15% business tax that's going to do so much damage to ordinary blue collar, hard hat working folks. Isn't that something they are getting slaughtered because of these Democrats and Joe Manchin threw in with them. And there's no excuse for that. And my disappointment in him is just enormous. I'm Larry
1: Kudlow. We'll be right back. Now back to the Larry Kudlow show.
2: Welcome back folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. So I'm looking at this um, great story on the uh, Fox business website website. You know this monstrosity of a bill uh, that's going to go through reconciliation. I'm just calling it the Mansion uh, Schumer bill. So this is being labeled the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022. Ha 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 ha! There is no inflation reduction. It's interesting this um, the Pen <coughs> Pen Wharton uh, econ- economic model, University of Pennsylvania Wharton School of business they have model. So they looked at this thing and they said, actually, (laughs) actually, the inflation rate in the next few years will go up slightly if this uh, bill were enacted. And then uh, beyond that, uh, five, six, eight years out, they'll have no impact on inflation. But I will disagree with that. I agree it's not going to cut inflation. I think it's going to boost inflation. I mean, didn't we learn going back to March of 2021 with the 1.9 trillion dollar so-called emergency relief bill, that was a key trigger of the current inflation problem, which is about nine percent. So we're just going to add more 740 740 billion in spending, and and as I said, you got to take that and add to it the 200 and. Uh, was it 240 billion? Some odd, yeah, 240 billion. No, 280 billion. I beg your pardon. The uh, Chips Plus Act is 280. So you really, you know what? You're not far from a trillion dollars. A trillion dollars in spending. We did 1.9 trillion 18 months ago. Now we're doing another trillion. How is that going to cut inflation? We're just going to flood the market with more money. It's going to put pressure on the Federal Reserve to uh, buy bonds to finance this. That is exactly what the inflation problem was in the first place. They've learned nothing. Nothing. And that's the most remarkable thing. And then this big uh, tax on corporations, the 15% minimum tax, so-called. So they're creating like a new tax system. We're going to have Scott Hodge, president of the Tax Foundation, walk through this later in the show. But I'll just say right now, they are... Calling this a loophole for businesses that, quote, don't pay their fair share. Well, that's nonsense. By law, going back to the 2017 Trump tax cut bill, which was enormously successful, it boosted growth. Wages went up. Typical families picked up $6,000 uh, in their wages because of this, one of the biggest uh, wage increases ever uh typical families did so well minorities blacks Hispanics Asians women all did well the poverty rate fell the inequality rate fell so investment incentives were put into that bill so a company <clears throat> a company that takes advantage of you know tax credits or other deductions a company that invests in new plants or new equipment, or new computers, or new worker training programs. That is all deductible from their tax bill. That's IRS-related profits. It's what they actually pay. But they want to use, Manchin-Schumer bill wants to use what's called book profits. Book profits exclude the uh, deductions and the credits and the 100% immediate expensing for new business investment, new capital equipment. So companies that do the right thing and invest in their new equipment, in their new computers, in their new technologies, if they upgrade their plants or their office buildings, things that will help the workforce, and will raise wages and productivity, if they go ahead and take advantage of the incentives, these are legal incentives, then their tax bill comes down because they're investing in the future. That's the whole point of our system, free enterprise. But no, no, no. Now the Democrats, Manchin, Schumer et al., are saying those are loopholes and we have to pay more. So they're going to knock out business investment, which will... Do great damage. The Joint Tax Committee, nonpartisan, has said that wages will fall 25% as a result of this 15% minimum tax nonsense. And by the way, some people believe it'll be much higher 50 to 70%. 50 to 70% of the burden of the corporate tax falls on workers, working folks, blue collars, hard hats. People working in the restaurants and the hotels and the manufacturing companies. Ironically, here's the biggest thing. With this CHIPS bill that gives government money to invest, that will be taxed at the higher rate because of this 15% minimum tax. Okay, so it's self-defeating. On the one hand, we're providing government subsidies for new semiconductors. On the other hand, we're going to tax them to death. Huh? Really? How stupid is that? The answer is it's very stupid. It's very stupid. And that is why I'm saying nobody in their right mind basically wants to raise taxes during a recession. I don't want to raise taxes ever. I want a low, flat tax reduce the tax rate, broaden the base by getting rid of loopholes and uh, make the code simpler. But no, no, no. Now we're going to raise taxes and we're going to spend more. So this isn't that hard. It's all wrong. And it's this idea of a hyperactive government. I don't want to expand government. I want to limit government. You know, years ago, when I worked for Reagan, his uh, chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors, Murray Wiedenbaum, the late Mary Wiedenbaum, who was a wonderful man. He was a regulatory expert. He used to say at cabinet meetings, don't just, don't just stand there. Undo something. Don't just stand there. Undo something. Cut regulations, for example which is what Trump did. I think Trump had eight regulatory reductions for every regulatory increase. Lighten the burden. Stop strangling the economy through taxing and regulating. That was what Murray Bob said. You're in Congress. You should be voting for limited government. You should be voting against big government. The Bidens have just done in 18 months... The cavalry's coming. This will be temporary. The cavalry's coming to straighten this story out. But right now, it's not good. It's just not good. I'm Larry Kudlow. Senator Marsha Blackburn's going to weigh in on this on the other side of the break. Please, stick around.
1: From Wall Street to the White House, this is The Larry Kudlow Show.
2: All right, welcome back, folks. i Larry Kudlow on the line. We have Senator Marsha Blackburn, one of my absolute favorites from this great state of Tennessee. I think we lost her. Now we're trying to get her back. I want to ask her, how is it possible that in the space of one week we've got these two gigantic bills that are going to do enormous damage to the economy? What's going on here? I don't get it. Senator Blackburn is a good, limited, government-free enterprise conservative. Now we have... One of my favorites, Senator Marsha Blackburn from the great state of Tennessee, uh, Senator Blackburn, welcome to the show. Thank you for your time. I know you're busy. I just want to know how is it possible really in the last week, we are now spending combined with this uh, reconciliation bill, Mansion Schumer seven hundred let's see. We're spending seven hundred and forty billion plus two hundred and eighty billion for the CHIPS bill. That's eight hundred and twenty billion. And we are raising taxes massively. That's gonna deepen the recession and increase the inflation rate. Senator Blackburn, how is this possible? What's going on? Can can we stop the insanity?
3: I hope that we are able to stop this insanity, Larry. And you know, you haven't even mentioned the PACT Act which would be the veterans bill, which the VA has told us, they cannot implement this legislation. And my concern for our fabulous veterans, this would end up being a false promise.
2: Hmm. Wow. Well, is, that, what's, is that loaded up with non-veteran pork? I mean, what's the story with that bill?
3: No, it is. it is there to tend to veterans that had toxic exposure which is something that I've worked on for years, trying to make certain that they are covered. The problem is the VA cannot fulfill the promise of that because they currently have a backlog of cases that is about 200,000 on a backlog of their request for health care and benefits. And if they add this, It would be about a million. So I say let's fix this before it's passed and allow these veterans to show their VA card at any doctor in their community and get the care that they need without having to wait on the VA Hmm. and wait for the VA to hire caseworkers and doctors and medical personnel and staff and deal with facilities which could be years off. These guys deserve immediate access to health care, mm-hmm. not health care a year or two from now. But you have to look at the fact that they're just continuing to spend, spend, spend without having a plan for how you implement and how this serves the people. And you look at this CHIPS bill. Now, Larry, you and I talk. Last year about my legislation On active pharmaceutical ingredients Mm -hmm. It's a bill And it and I had before the pandemic Mm -hmm. And it would have brought Back manufacturing On our um, Vaccines And penicillin We remember when there was a penicillin shortage There was a heparin shortage The reason all this happened It was because all the pharmaceuticals Were made in China Mm -hmm. So let's bring that back American manufacturing, American jobs. Well, instead of doing billions of dollars of grants, why don't we do this? Why don't we do tax credit? Right. So once the private sector mm-hmm. spends the money, they have a tax credit that they can exercise, not a refundable credit. A tax credit they can exercise. And that's the way to do this. Just think of what you could have done with $30 billion worth of tax credits available to pharmaceuticals or maritime equipment or electric power generation or distribution equipment or telecommunications equipment. Think about what that would have done for those Companies And it it would not have put us on the road to federal industrial policy.
2: Yes. You're just so totally right. And those credits would be available for all these businesses, right? All these industries. Instead of picking winners and losers.
3: Yeah. Why are we picking winners and losers and saying, okay, guys, here we go. $80 billion only for the chip industry. You What's know, that? you might be able to make the chips, but what happens if you cannot get the wire? What happens if you can't get the metal for the casing? What happens if you, there are other components in in the supply chain, the critical supply chain that you cannot access? Then what have you done? You've created another shortage, and then the next thing you know, it's going to be, well, we've got to have the pharmaceutical bill, or we've got to have a bill that will encourage um, the return of metal wire, metal casings, uh, batteries. Just think about this. We have to be smart in how taxpayer money is used.
2: The irony of this, the terrible irony in this, is that we're going to pour all this money into the chip industry, and then we're going to slap on a 15% alternative minimum corporate tax. So they won't be able to deduct it. They won't be able to expense it, Senator Blackburn. So the one hand is giving and the other hand is taking away. That's how stupid these bills are.
3: Well, precisely. And you are giving in one hand and you're taking away in the other hand, plus the language that would have kept, any of these companies from doing business with the communist Chinese, mm-hmm. that protection language got taken out.
4: Mm.
0: Yeah, and
3: so, the whole goal of going through this exercise was to begin to return to the United States. Some of this manufacturing that over the last three decades has left the United States.
2: So, and in, in so this thing was pushed by some Republicans as a national security measure. All right. But what you're saying is there are no guardrails, so people can still be in China. I mean Intel will continue its plants in China. So I don't see the national security success on this.
3: I I would have counted it a success and a win had it required all manufacturing to be done in the US. But right. this it did not, which to me is a disappointment. I think we leave ourselves vulnerable until we admit that we need to encourage the repatriation of this manufacturing and bring it back to U.S. shores.
2: Onshoring. Onshoring. That's exactly right. So what's going to happen here, Senator Blackburn? This reconciliation bill is a monster. It's a big spending bill which will boost inflation, and it's a tax bill that will uh, deepen the recession. I mean, to me, it defies common sense. I don't care what party you're in. It just defies common sense. And we're stuck with this thing. And Joe Manchin just broke my heart. He just broke my heart. I've been with him for a year and a half stopping this nonsense. And now look where we are.
5: We
3: are it, – it's as if they had planned this is where we would end up anyway. They want these Obamacare subsidies desperately, and they think it's essential for them for reelection. So mm-hmm. they were trying to figure out a way to do that. They've been trying to figure out a way to implement more of the Green New Deal. And, see, that was one of my problems with the CHIPS Act. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had co-sponsored – The semiconductor manufacturing bill, I was a co-sponsor of that, and that would have been some tax credits to bring that back. But I was not going to go near this bill that includes money for semiconductors, for tax credits, but also outright grants and also $200 billion worth of authorized spending. And then once we do a, a budget, make those appropriations in that process, then they can go appropriate this money. then go appropriate it.
2: But in this and, bill, as I understand, there's $50 billion for the Energy Department, for example. So this is cylindra to the 10th power or the 20th power. Here we go correct. again.
3: Correct. That's right. They have desperately wanted to get those Solyndra type, um, A123 battery Mm. type of of subsidies in there. And we all remember during the Obama years, every one of those companies went belly up, Mm. every one of
2: them. Um, Senator Blackburn, last one. I mean, politically, is it possible to stop this reconciliation bill?
3: Um, I I am going to be one of those out here trying to stop it because this is just – and I hope that other Republicans will join in on trying to stop this. And I hope that people that are listening to your show, Larry, you've got such a wide listenership all across the country. They have Democratic members that are representing them they should be reaching out and saying, hey, look, this is just too expensive to afford. You did $6.8 trillion uh, going through COVID. You did $2 trillion on uh, the infrastructure bill. You're, you are doing 300 on a VETS bill that VA says they cannot implement. You did 300 on CHIP. And now you want to come along and you want to do another eight hundred billion dollars, nearly a trillion Mm dollars. Our children and grandchildren cannot afford this.
2: Yeah. You know, what happened to all the talk that more spending and more borrowing would cause inflation to rise or more taxing would cause the economy to sink? Where is I mean, there's just no common sense here, Senator Blackburn. And you know what? We are in such a pickle with the recession and the inflation. This is going to make both sides worse. I mean, I think people out there, you know, ordinary working folks would be scratching their head and saying, huh, what? Why are they doing this? I mean, it just makes no sense whatsoever. I
3: was in seven of Tennessee's 95 counties yesterday Hmm. talking with Tennesseans. I did not have one single person say, You know what? I'm pushing for them to spend some more because I like this inflation. (laughs) I didn't have one single person come up to me and say, Hey, Marcia, we want to keep pushing the price of a gallon of regular gas or a gallon of diesel up. I met with a group of 15 farmers, and every single one of them, whether it was beef cattle, it was dairy, whether it was row crops, whether it was soy— every one of them, Larry, would take out pencil and paper and show me mm-hmm. what they are having to spend. Mm-hmm. Tomato farmers, the cost of their fertilizer has more than doubled. Mm-hmm. And you have others that are doing soy and grains. Their fertilizer is increased by 300%. Diesel has doubled. They don't know how long they're going to be able to stay in business. So you know what? If you think that the food shortage is bad now, you wait till next year. It will be worse.
2: All right. Senator Marcia Blackburn, you are always part of the solution. Thank you, ma'am. We appreciate your time today. Good luck out there. We'll, we'll take care. Soon. Bye now. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick break. And the other side of the break, got my dear friend Brooke Rollins, who is the president of the America First Policy Institute. We just had a very successful summit meeting in Washington, D.C. this past week. I'm Larry Kudlow. Please
1: stay with us. From Wall Street to the White House, this is The Larry Kudlow Show.
2: Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. You can live stream us, by the way, live stream us on the Internet, wabcradio.com, larrykudlowshow.com. Either way, throughout the country, we have a great following on this live stream. It's terrific stuff, Uh, plus our syndicators plus around the globe, plus throughout the solar system. And they need to hear my dear friend, Brooke Rollins, who was with me in the White House in Trump years. She's now the president and CEO of America First Policy Institute. It's a big think tank expanding uh, all kinds of policies, economic policies, foreign policies, social policies, immigration policies, things that this country should be doing in contrast to what it seems to be are doing in Washington, D.C. Brookie, are you out there?
6: I am here coming to you from the great state of Texas. Great to be on, Larry. Thank you.
2: Terrific stuff. You ought to run for governor. Anyway, that's a different segment. Uh, Brooke, (laughs) I think the uh, AFPI conference in Washington was a big success, even got good media coverage, and I think you're making your mark. I'm uh, proud to be standing with you on this. What did you take away from this big conference, all these beautiful panels that we had? And, of course, President Trump gave a fine speech. What do you make of it, Brooke?
6: Well, you know, 1,200 people descended on Washington to attend. We had to cap it there, which was remarkable, most from around the country, not from the swamp. Of course, President Trump gave what many would say was one of his best speeches uh, since he left the White House. It was very policy-focused, visionary, forward-leaning uh, we had Leader McCarthy, Had I and mean, we just had everybody there, 300 media RSVPs, Larry. Here's the bottom line. The American people are hungry for real leadership and real policy that they know will affect and improve their lives. They know they're not getting it from this White House or this administration. So the message from earlier this week, I think, was really an important one for the country.
2: I think that, um, you know, those panels we had, I had one on the uh, future of the economy, but all the panels we had, had tremendous substance, Brooke. And I think that's why the coverage uh, was a lot better than, you know, you and I might have thought with the mainstream media, but we're offering, I mean, talk a bit to, for our listeners. I'm, I'm trying to give it as much exposure as possible. Sort of what are the key issue areas that we're doing research with and coming up with new solutions?
6: Well, Larry, I think your listeners will love that the America First Policy Institute, which you have been my partner on from day one, and I'll I'll never be able to fully tell you how much I appreciate that. But that last year that we spent in the White House, you and I and a few others spent a lot of time preparing for a second term. And when, you know, we believed we'd be there another four years, or President Trump would, And what was it that we wanted to achieve in that second four years for the American people? So when that didn't happen, you know, our conversation then turned to, well, how do we keep the momentum going? How do we continue to build on these policies that you and I have been talking about for decades but finally had the opportunity to execute under President Trump? But it doesn't all end on January 20th of 2020, and that's where the America First Policy Institute was born. And so continuing the policies of the Trump administration, but more importantly, building out an infrastructure, really a machine for freedom from the economy to healthcare care to education to foreign policy to innovation to the values that our side really puts forward It really took the best of the Trump years, the policy, and continues to build those out. And here's what's really exciting to me, Larry. It's not just what do we need to do to return to the economy of the Trump years from a Washington, D.C. perspective. It's also what should the states be doing in their states on taxes and regulation and on health care and education and, and on down to the local governments, the school boards and the local government. So how do we as a movement? continue to build on that America first magic, not for the next two years, not for the next four years, but for the next 100 years. And that's what we're building.
2: You know, the freedom theme is so important. I was talking earlier in the show about the importance of limited government, which is goes hand in hand with the freedom. limited government. And what you're seeing, what we are all seeing now, especially this past week with these crazy bills Uh, You know, $280 billion, call it $300 billion bill, uh, corporate welfare picking winners and losers. Now we have uh, an $800 billion reconciliation package, Joe Manchin uh, threw in the towel, with high taxes to fund it, which will devastate the economy. The borders are still open. The Mm -hmm. battle in the schools for curriculum and culture and teaching history correctly still rages I mean, these are things that are so vitally important. And, Brooke, we, you're going to – if candidates running for office from top to bottom can, can pick our, our brain, can't they? We're, I mean, it's, we, we're open to helping all these people with a freedom agenda.
6: That's right. And one of the most important things, I think, Larry, that we did on Monday and Tuesday in Washington, and we'll do it again next year and the next year and and bring the the very best thinkers and doers of our side together, was roll out the America First agenda and what that looked like. And for any of your listeners that would like more information, AmericaFirstPolicy.com, AmericaFirstPolicy.com has that agenda. And so bringing together the activists, the candidates, the elected officials, the, the movement leaders like you and Linda McMahon and others, having all of those people in one place. But it wasn't a political discussion, Larry. It was a policy discussion. Mm. And you and I, of course, that's where our hearts are, but you and I know that when policy leads the way, we win. Mm. And the incredible thing about the America First agenda is whether it was the economy or health care, education, deregulation, draining the swamp, whatever it was, all of those issues are approved by the american people at almost 70 to 80% approval which means that all the republicans are obviously behind the agenda but 20 to 30 to 40 to 50% of the democrats are too if you were to go talk to a democrat in my home state of texas there's a very good chance they are disgusted by the amount of spending by the loss of of values by teaching our children that america is horrible The average Democrat doesn't believe in the agenda that their leaders are putting forward. So it's an extraordinary opportunity to unify and align America around an agenda that is America first, that they know will be the best agenda for their family and their family's future.
2: Uh, Brooke, how big is the? What's the staffing and what's the budget look like now for America first?
6: Well, you know, we started just a little over a year ago, so it's been an extraordinary build. Uh, we 've got about one hundred and fifty staffers, about mm. twenty two policy centers, almost a twenty five million dollar budget, which again, people would say wow that's that you know we 're now the third largest think tank in the history of the conservative movement in a little over a year but but it really isn't about those numbers larry it's about the righteous vision that you had that others had that I've had the incredible blessing to build out over the last year and a half and bringing the best people together. You know, it's it's almost like the beginning of our country when you had a handful of ordinary people. George Washington was a businessman. Thomas Jefferson was a teacher. James Madison was a, was a student who wanted to become a teacher. You know, these founding fathers were just ordinary people, but they had, I believe, a vision of freedom and liberty that they organized around and then became unstoppable. And in many ways, I see what we're building at AFPI as a, as a very similar build and, and really working to, once you and I are gone, long gone, <laughs> that there will be an institute, an infrastructure that has All been right. built that is unstoppable.
2: Brooke Rollins, the best of the best. By the way, James Madison, I just missed him at Princeton. He was there 250 <laughs> years before I was. Brookey, you're the best. America First Policy layers. Institute. Thanks, kids. All right. On the other side of the break, we're going to talk to Tyler Goodspeed, former chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors, about this recession.
1: It's the Larry Kudlow Show. Free market prosperity starts here. Now, here's Larry Kudlow.
2: Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. A great pleasure to be with you today. As always, so much to talk about. By the way, you can pick us up Fox Business during the week. Fox Business. It's called what? Kudlow. Just Kudlow. You can dial us up, and here you can live stream us on the internet, LarryKudlowShow.com, all across the country, throughout the world, and throughout the solar system. So we're going to bring in my great pal, Tyler Goodspeed, former chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors. Now he's a Hoover Institution fellow. Uh, Tyler, thank you. Welcome. It's good to be with you, Larry. So... I had our mutual friend Larry Lindsay on the TV show yesterday actually, and um he's saying and I'm gonna quote him directly, there have never been two consecutive quarters of negative growth that were not ultimately deemed as recessionary. So, you know, semantics aside, Tyler, we're in a recession. I mean I I, I looked at the numbers for real GDP, I'm sure you did too for the preliminary numbers for Q two. They're bad numbers. Housing's going down, business investment's going down, consumers are flat. It's not a good story. The GDP deflator was 8.9%. What do you make of this?
4: I think you just touched upon a really good observation, Larry, which is the diffusion part of the definition of a recession. So when the NBER, the National Bureau of Economic Research, ultimately dates a recession, they look at three, three variables, basically. The depth the duration and the diffusion, how broad it is. Hmm. And you know, we have the depth because, you know, in the first half of the year, we've now had a contraction that is deeper than the recession in the early 2000s. It's deeper than the recession in 1969 and 70. It's deeper than the recession in the early 1960s. It's almost as deep as the recession in the early 1990s. We have the duration because as, as you noted, we had two quarters of, of negative growth in a row And in terms of diffusion, as you noted, Larry, you've got negative business investment, negative real estate investment, residential investment, negative inventories. Uh, Exports finally picked up a little bit last quarter, but the the rest of world outlook is not looking great. So I think that's probably going to be a drag moving forward. And consumer spending on goods has really slowed. So just consumer spending on services is the only thing keeping this thing afloat.
2: I mean, I'm not happy with it. Nobody's proud of it. I hate to see Americans, you know, go go into this thing. Probably the next shoe to drop, I mean, is going to be employment. Uh, I I don't know that we'll get a new number for uh, we'll get July numbers next Friday. But the point is, I'm watching Tyler. Uh, weekly initial unemployment claims are now rising. Uh, I think they're up about fifty or sixty thousand. It's really the only thing left is the employment story, and I think that's going to show more and more weakness. What do you think? What do you make of that?
4: Well, you're right. It's, it, those, those initial unemployment claims have been ticking up for several months now. It's, it's so incremental, but you know, that, is, that is a leading indicator. A lagging indicator is the, the, the headline payroll jobs growth uh, that, that often lags. Developments in the rest of the economy because people, firms like to postpone as long as possible having to lay off workers. You know, our former colleague Kevin Hassett made the observation that given, given the extent to which inflation has been outpacing wage gains, mm. it actually makes it a little bit more affordable for firms to hold on to workers as long as possible before layoffs. Um, but I think ultimately, you know, given, given the outlook in the rest of the economy – we're, we're probably going to start seeing those those layoffs
2: tick up. Real disposable income. So income, less inflation, less taxes, minus 3.2% last 12 months, Tyler.
7: Yeah.
4: Um, you know, for much of the past year, year and a half, Larry, I know you and I have been talking about declining real wages. Mm. Until recently, that was on average that the, Real wage, inflation adjusted wages were declining, but at least in the aggregate, given the, the number of job gains, total household weight wa- you know total wages in the economy, the total wage bill was going up, that is no longer true uh, and we saw that reflected earlier this week in, in the, the real disposable personal income numbers that in the aggregate, uh, household wages
2: are not keeping up with inflation. Tyler, uh, when you look at the whole big picture. What are the primary causes of this recession?
4: Um, That's. I think it's a combination of. I mean, higher interest rates uh, does a lot to cool investment, inventory investment because of the carry cost of that. Um, I think that the. Attributed to an optimistic consumer or an optimistic small business, and we see that reflected in, in surveys of consumers and surveys of small businesses uh, who basically report recessionary levels of optimism. And I think the other big one is that we created uh, in early 2021 with the American Rescue Plan, we created a massive inflation problem mm. that now is impeding consumer demand um, and, and business demand. I mean, the the inflation problem is, is, is the ultimate source of this.
2: I think so, too. You know, I think, Tyler, th- the downturn, the recession in the first half of 2022 is primarily because of the rapid inflation and the slump in uh, real wages and confidence. You're right, confidence support. But you know what else, Tyler? I don't know if you followed the regulatory story. I mean this Biden's have had the greatest increase in regulations of any president going back as you know certainly to the post war numbers I saw uh, what did I see a number 200 billion in regulatory costs in 2021 alone I mean it's like it's like this uh what Newt Gingrich calls big government socialism, or Steve Forbes calls it modern socialism through the regulatory state. It's like they're strangling the economy. A lot of it is fossil fuels, but a lot of it's just business in general.
4: Yeah, and you know they're, 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 they're d- the direct compliance and paper cost of regulation, but there are also a lot of distortionary effects and spillover effects from one sector into another. You get misallocation of resources. And, you know, when you look at small businesses, I remember back in 2018, 2019, uh, when we were making a big deregulatory push in the Trump administration, we had folks from the National Federation of Independent Businesses come in, and they said that they were observing something incredibly refreshing, and that was for the first time that they had ever seen the small businesses in their survey were reporting, were not reporting that a government-created problem was their number one concern. Um, their number one concern at that time was was uh, labor shortages, labor, mm-hmm. labor quality, um, but things like taxes, things like government and financial you know, interest rates, things like government regulations. Those were no longer issues. And we've we've seen a reversal of that over the past year and a half. Uh,
2: last one, last minute. Why is, you know, look, I know why the Bidens are denying recession. That's just politics. But why is Jay Powell saying there's no recession? I mean, I don't get that.
4: Yeah, I don't get that either. Um, I think he's still hoping for for a soft landing. But, but Larry, there was something that that I found a little bit unsettling in the Fed's remarks. Uh, not least the very dovish nature of it um, of, of their actions. But they they noted in their remarks that they were going to be paying attention to market based measures of inflation expectations. Mm. And I think that could be a mistake because bond markets. Historically, are not good at predicting inflation, mm. and they've not been good at predicting inflation over the past year and a half. Uh, historically, in high inflationary periods, consumers do a much better job forecasting inflation, and ultimately consumers are, are what matter because it's, you know, it's, it's small businesses, it's households negotiating wages, it's people who are out there making contracts and buying things. Uh so I I would be if I were if I were the Fed I would be paying a lot more attention to, to consumer and business surveys of inflation expectations rather than what the bond market is saying.
2: Yeah, I think you're right. The, the latest consumer confidence in the Conference Board was really bad. Really bad. bad. Tyler Goodspeed, former chair of the Council of Economic Advisers, he's now out at the Hoover Institute. Thank you, Tyler. We'll talk some more. Always
4: a pleasure, Larry. And take care. You got it.
2: All right, folks. We're going to take a quick break, and after the break, the great Kellyanne Conway, former Trump senior counselor and campaign manager back in 2016. Kellyanne Conway, next up. Please stick around. We'll be right back after this break.
1: Now back to the Larry Kudlow
2: show. Welcome back, folks. Great pleasure, my my great pal, Kellyanne Conway former Trump senior counselor campaign manager for the Trump Pence campaign back in 2016. We needed her to run 2020, but that's a different segment. She did found the polling company, now it's KA Consulting. She's with America First Policy Institute and her book, which is a terrific book, here's the deal, a memoir. I've actually read that book. You know, Kellyanne, that was a good book you wrote, a very good book.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Larry. Thank you. And listen, it's meant to be, it certainly is my life story, and you've been a part of that. Thank you. But it's anybody's American dream story. But look, it's also directional. Let's talk about the 74 million Trump-Pence voters who were not in the U.S. Capitol on January 6th Mm. and what they need. So many of them are suffering under this Biden-Harris socialist-Democrat economy and energy dependence and the rest. And I was really happy that both Vice President Pence and President Trump were in Washington this past week, Larry, as you and I were, to go ahead and remind people how great they had it not that long ago. How do we get back there? It's a big question on Americans' minds.
2: You know, you're right. Both of them gave good speeches. Uh, You know, you've got a good article today in The Washington Times, House GOP Taylor's America First Inspired Message for Midterm Elections. And uh, you met with a lot of the leading Republicans in the House. Um, I'm going to quote, crime is the best example right now of the Democrats ethos right now, basically saying to America, don't believe what you see, believe what I say. So um, President Trump spoke about crime. You think crime is a pivotal issue.
5: It is. It's one of the issues that is vexing and perplexing many Americans who otherwise may want to vote Democrat or otherwise consider themselves to be independent or unaffiliated or skeptical of some of the Republican policies or, the, or Trump's rhetoric, frankly. But they say, listen, we know what's going on in these cities, whether we live in or near one or far, far away. This is outrageous that every night I turn on the TV and I see 16-year-old man, kid, beating up Uh, Police officers at the subway and letting get go. Our good friend Lee Zeldin, God forbid, could have been injured or worse, Larry, Mm. with that would-be assassin. And Mm. the guy is held for six hours and released. So people see this. They know that the number one killer of 18 to 45-year-olds in our country right now is fentanyl, Chinese fentanyl coming over our southern border. So, yes, four million people have come over the border, it's estimated, since Biden and Harris got there. But the fentanyl that's come over, is, it come over is in every community. It can be in any kid's body, any of our coworkers and our colleagues, and that's a big concern. So I think with crime, it reminds me of 1994 in the contract with America. I was a baby pollster in the background uh, for Frank Luntz and Newt Gingrich and Halle Barber and people working on the contract with America. And, Larry, if you go back, crime and the economy were the twin pillars that helped mm-hmm. those Republican candidates. At the time, it was really anti-anti-recidivism measures like three strikes and you're out, and toughening some of the sentencing. We don't even have that anymore. Three strikes, you're out. No strikes, and you're out. You're out that night, back on the street. And I think this, um, you know, particularly in the case of that 16-year-old who was beating on the police officers and let go, and had been arrested before. He's only 16. He's, you know, he's the bell of the ball now. He's peacocking around, mm. saying, "See, if there's no punishment, you could just continue." But Back to the don't believe what you see, believe what I say. That is basically the Democrat uh, talking point in ethos right now. They don't want you to believe that Putin's in Ukraine, that a a nuclear-capable Iran is salivating, that crime and drugs are roiling our cities, that border insecurity is leading to this massive influx of people. They don't want you to believe that the stock market has lost $10 trillion in wealth since Biden got there, that we're in a recession they And I think that's why their approval ratings are so poor, because they disrespect the American people so consistently and deeply that the people don't see from this administration, from this White House, folks who are saying, listen, I know you're in pain. I know we're in a downturn. I'm a man with a plan, Joe Biden. I, we're we're going to make it better. They don't hear any of that. And your goodness, your successor, Brian Deese, your successor at the National Economic Council— The guy lies for a living. I mean, Mm -hmm. you can play his his quips side by side. You don't know which Brian Deese Mm -hmm. is the credible one, the compelling one. And so people are a little confused and very, very nervous.
2: You know, they don't want you to believe high inflation, and they don't want you to believe that we are in a recession. We've just had two negative quarters of GDP, and they're out there lying about it. Now, Kellyanne, I think crime and I'll call it inflation recession – are huge and the gop should stick to those messages don't get caught up i mean you know this past week they passed this chips plus bill 18 republican senators voted for 284 billion dollars you know corporate welfare picking winners and losers they didn't need to do that and now they're stuck with this uh 800 billion dollar reconciliation bill with a huge tax hike i mean they need to stay on message crime inflation recession Here's what we're going to do about it.
5: Yes, I was interviewed yesterday on the network, and I I just said uh, something you're you're touching on here, Larry, which is the difference between 15 seats and 50 seats in the House, the difference between winning back the Senate for Republicans or narrowly winning it and really having a monster election in a couple of months, Larry, goes in part – runs in part through not being baited. Into Twitter arguments and into voting for these terrible bills. Mm. I mean, I think the Democrats know they've only got a couple months left, so they're going to try to jam through a lot of this crazy spending. They think it'll help them in some marginal seats. I mean, if you're John Federman in Pennsylvania against Mehmet Oz, you're going to vote for crazy spending anyway. You're a socialist who's you've endorsed Bernie Sanders; he's endorsed you, and so this is a layup for him. He's you know he's running as the quote 51st vote uh, in in the Senate. Great. Let's show that. Let's shine a light on that and see. say, see, you're going to get more of this. And the Republicans should not allow themselves to be baited into stuff that sounds good, but is really corrosive for the body politic. Who's going to pay for all this nonsense
8: mm. in the end?
2: No mention of that, Kellyanne. That's what burned me up. No mention of paying for this stuff. And now, you know, in this uh, Manchin-Schumer reconciliation bill is a gigantic tax hike. I mean, we're in a recession and we're raising taxes. Really?
6: Well, it's also a sop to the hard
5: left and their their idea that climate change is their religion and and their number one. Look, Larry, I think we can all do better, but we don't need the government to tell us and compel us to do better. We can we can do that. But the the whole climate change matter, too, means this White House and even Joe Manchin is not. They're not looking at the polls, everybody's polls, including the mainstream media's polls, CNN, NBC, uh, Quinnipiac, these academic institutions, they all say climate change is anywhere from 1% in the New York Times-Siena College poll to 5%, I think, in the Fox News or NBC poll. It's nowhere near where inflation in the economy A CBS poll last month, 33% say it is, a quote, top priority to investigate January 6th, but 80% said it's a top priority to tackle the economy. 82% said inflation. And isn't it curious, Larry, that even the mainstream media who gets this wrong, who promotes and protects the the people who promote these terrible reconciliation bills and runaway spending, even their own pollsters feel compelled to include in their polling questions separate inquiries about economy and inflation, because inflation is one thing. But I'll tell you what, my friend, the economy Mm. is more more than that to people. So right now they're talking about groceries and gas prices. What's happening next is people are not going to be able to make the rent, the mortgage, the car payment, the tuition payment, the student loan payment. You know, the, new, the Washington Post had an article a couple of weeks ago, Larry, really disheartened me. It caught my eye. Basically said one of the fastest growing new groups of homeless in our country are single moms who have jobs. Larry, mm. they're employed mm. and they can't make the rent or the mortgage. And that's what's coming down the pike now. That's beyond gas and groceries, which are mm. been a big headache hassle and, and, and hurtful to many Americans. But goodness, if you're two if you're two months behind in the rent. You can up, you can end up in your car, or hopefully in a relative's home for a couple of months. But that's what's happening. That's a huge economic concern. Larry, look at the pessimism that's being projected by Americans in these polls too. They don't think it's going to get better. They think it's going to stay the same, which is terrible, or worse, uh, really decline over the next year or two. So any way you look at these polls, and I, I noted all these articles this morning, Larry, where Joe Biden is finally mentioning Donald Trump's name again.
2: Yeah. Yeah. somebody
5: has convinced him ultra-MAGA and Donald Trump are his foils. <laughs> um, he's wrong, by the way. I mean, you know, mano <laughs> y mano, he's wrong.
2: <laughs> kelly last 30 seconds. Did Trump get it done in his speech?
5: He got it done in his speech because he did three big things. One, he returned to Washington for the first time since he left. And he returns to Washington as the same Trump, but in a very different, broken Washington. Democratic-controlled Biden-Harris Washington that really— In in 18 short months, Larry has unraveled so many great policies that you yourself helped the president pass. And that's number two, just showing the binary choice between Trump's America and Joe Biden's America. And, Larry, and I know you and I like this very much, it took him an hour to talk about the stolen election (laughs) and voter fraud. And so um, I appreciated that because he reminded everybody there's so much more that's at stake in this country. He looked very joyful, very energetic, and a guy who, if he decides to run, I think he's uh, the absolute front runner. For the Republican yeah. nomination in a cage match rematch against Joe Biden. But we got to get through these midterms first, and I hope he waits to announce. Yeah.
2: Kellyanne, you are a love. Love, love, love. Kellyanne Connolly, everybody. God bless love, you. love, love. All right, folks, we're going to take a short break, and then we're going to bring in Scott Hodge, president of the Tax Foundation, who's going to walk us through why these tax hike proposals in the Manchin Schumer bill are so bad for the recessionary economy.
0: That's shopify.com slash system.
1: From Wall Street to the White House, this is the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome
2: back, folks. Let's talk some taxes with uh, one of America's greatest experts, Scott Hodge. Well, he's formerly president of the Tax Foundation for about two decades. He's now the senior advisor. I continue to nag him in whatever role he plays because he's a dear friend. Scott, uh, I want you to, if you can... I want to talk first of all about this 15% minimum tax on corporations. Yeah. And um I'm, I'm looking um the joint committee on taxation let's see, US manufacturers would be hardest hit by Democrats book minimum tax. That's a tax on book income, not IRS income. And Scott, isn't this thing uh anti-investment or I mean we this is not a loophole. This is not something illegal. Why are they going for this alternative minimum tax thing?
9: Well, a lot of this is political, uh, Larry. They've dreamed up a narrative that uh, somehow uh, companies are using legitimate uh, tax deductions, such things as full expensing or bonus expensing for capital investment, um, stock gifts to uh, employees, Net operating losses, all of those things contribute to some companies not paying uh, or or at least having a zero income tax liability. And so uh, Democrats and liberals have dreamed up this narrative that somehow they're getting away with something. And so they've created this alternative uh, minimum tax outside of the current tax system. Hmm. This is a a proposal that's never been tried anywhere uh, in any other country, so it's a very risky venture. And it relies on accounting principles uh, rather than actual tax principles. And so this is their way of trying to to raise more corporate tax revenues without actually raising the corporate tax rate. And so this is an end around uh, from from actually going directly at corporate taxes. You know, I was
2: um, interviewing Senator Rob Portman on the TV show, Scott, and he made an interesting point. Maybe it's a process point, but it's an important point. He said, look, if you're going to create a separate alternative minimum tax system, then let's have that discussion. But that should not be included in a reconciliation budget bill. And I guess you're saying you I think you would agree with that because you're saying this thing has not been fully vetted. And by the way, why do we want to create a separate alternative corporate tax system?
9: Well, we actually had one for about four decades that was created during right. the late 1960s and 1970s, and um, our old friend uh, Phil English, Congressman, former mm. Congressman Phil English, called it the kick them when they're down tax because it would all ultimately hit companies during economic downturns when incomes would decline, but things like net operating losses and other deductions would rise relative to their lower incomes and kick them into the AMT. This is just a completely different uh, animal altogether. It is incredibly complex. It runs by a, a, a whole different set of rules. But uh, as, as you've made uh, the point, uh, this will negate good things like bonus expensing for capital investment. Mm-hmm. So this is why the Joint Committee on Taxation found that more than half of the revenues raised by this tax will hit manufacturers, especially those that are capital-intensive. So this is going to go right at CapEx budgets for companies such as, oh, I don't know, the telecommunications, you know, uh, phone systems, Hmm. those that build towers, those that are putting um, chip manufacturing uh, machinery into their factories. All of these things will be impacted by this tax.
2: Right. You know, isn't
9: it ironic
2: that um, you pass this Chips Plus bill? which is subsidizing (laughs) semiconductor companies. But but then they're going to hit them with this 15 percent minimum tax. So what the government's giving, the other side
9: of the government's going to take away. It's completely insane. And (laughs) uh, Congress's joint, Joint Committee on Taxation said that this will hit about 150 companies a year. At roughly about $30 billion a year in average revenues, that means each company is going to get hit to the tune of about $200 million, uh, and that's going to go right at their capital investment. The other thing, the Joint Committee uh, has just released some data looking at how this will affect people in different income tax brackets, because they do assume that some of this tax will flow through to workers through lower wages. Mm -hmm. And uh, lo and behold, and this is no surprise to you and me, but maybe members of the of of, of Congress, uh, the joint committee found that it's going to hit people earning below $400,000 a year, which the president said, uh, we're not going to raise their taxes. Well, this will. And it's according to their own scorekeepers.
2: Yeah. I mean, we, I, I have Kevin Hassett coming on in a few moments, but you know, the work that Kevin did among others, you've done the work, a lot of people have done Mm -hmm. the work. Uh, It's the wage earner who gets slammed I mean, exactly. whatever, half the corporate tax burden, maybe more hits the wage earner, you know, typical American family type stuff. And uh, this will do great harm. And here we are in a recession, which makes it even worse. So you're right. So English is right. We're going to kick them while they're down. That's the basic point
9: here. <laughs> yeah. Scott, interestingly l- enough, you know, when we analyzed this last year, <laughs> one of the industries that's going to get hit most relative to their income, is the coal industry,
4: mm-hmm.
9: Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> and yet that's Mister. Uh, Senator Manchin's back, backyard. And so, again, this is going to hit uh, industries that are very heavily intense, ca- capital intensive, but also worker intensive, mm-hmm. blue collar worker intensive. And that's the real shame of it.
2: Scott, um, can you just walk us through? There's a big debate now. Uh, concerning Senator Kirsten Sinema of Arizona uh, mm-hmm. with respect to the carried interest tax, uh, which would be taken out, I think. Let's see. They've got uh, $14 billion to end the carried interest loophole, quote-unquote. Uh, right. Now what's, what's that all about?
9: Well, it, it, really, it's all symbolism because the amount of revenue raised over the next decade is fairly trivial. In the grand scheme of things, but they have liberals have identified carried interest as this giant liberal uh, loophole to um, to uh, private equity firms and hedge funds and so forth. And it really is a very small thing. And what it means is that uh, people who are in that industry uh, get to claim capital gains um, taxation on their earnings rather than wage and salary income. Well, this makes sense in a lot of ways because they're risking their own capital and their own uh, uh, equity in these investments. And so it's natural that they should get some uh, what they call carried interest. This carried interest principle came out of actually the oil and gas industry uh, and real estate. And the whole principle behind it is that, you know, I've got a, a group of workers in a drilling rig, you've got money, so we go in together. And I get the carried interest because of my sweat equity while your investment, you know, get naturally gets the return on that cash. And so that partnership is what creates this carried interest. And so the same thing applies in the uh, financial field. My sweat equity combined with your investment uh, brings a rate of return and we both get to benefit from a lower capital gains rate as a result. They see this as – Democrats see this as a loophole when it's really a normal way of doing business between partners.
2: So, net net it's a good thing, not a bad thing.
9: I think it's a very good thing and I think to some degree it's going to harm capital investment and the kind of risk-taking that we want. However, what they're doing is they're saying instead of um you, you can get the carried interest but only if you hold on to those assets for 5 years or longer. So they're trying to dictate the terms of these agreements uh and f- enforce these uh, investors to to hold those assets even if it doesn't make sense how long what what's the how uh, how many years uh 5 years and currently i think it's uh 3 it may be 3 years now mm. they keep kind of changing it to try to get at these investors um last one scott um
2: i love this irs tax enforcement so <laughs> i mean they're scoring this as $124 billion increase in tax revenues. Um, yeah. What do you make of that? Uh, let me just say, I've seen this before. I've seen this movie before.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well,
9: they, these these are the same people that say the taxes don't pay for themselves, and yet if we give the IRS $80 billion, it's going to produce $124 billion. In, in new tax revenues by squeezing the rich and and uh, uh, hiring more auditors to go in. And, how many? B- how many? How down.
2: much money are they putting into the IRS? Uh,
9: over eighty billion dollars. Right. Yeah, and that's supposed in new spending to hire auditors, and that's supposed to generate one hundred twenty four billion over ten years in new tax revenues. <laughs> <laughs> this is the stupidest thing I've ever. Heard. So, nice. under that theory, we we should give. Yeah, or it's a trillion dollars. Yeah, right. how much a, it would Yes. Raise,
4: yes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Here's the thing, though. This revenue grab, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but tax revenues overall are running around 20% of GDP, which is, if it's not an all-time high, it's pretty close. I mean, I'm just saying yep. the government has a lot of money. Why are they grabbing for more?
9: Because they're spending more, and the <laughs> long-term, pro- the the long-term prospects uh, of the deficit are, are are exploding over the next few decades. In fact, the Congressional Budget Office just came out with a very sobering report last week, um, showing that uh, deficits are, are exploding over the next three decades. Uh, even though tax revenues, in their estimate, will remain above historic highs for the next uh, uh, thirty years, spending is just growing that much faster, such that um, by 30 years' time, spending will hit 30% mm. of gross domestic product. That's mm. European level kind of spending, and yet re- tax revenues can't catch up, wow. uh, even with some, some pro- projected growth. So we've really got to get a handle on this spending side of things, or we're really going to spend this country into um, a very, very severe economic consequence. Yeah, spending is the problem. Spending yes, indeed.
2: is the problem. Scott Hodge, Tax Foundation. Thank you, my friend. Terrific stuff. Really appreciate it. Folks, we're going to take a quick break. Other side of the break, a little more economics with my pal, Kevin Hassett, former chair of the Council of Economic Advisors. Kevin Hassett, I'm Cudlow. We'll be right back.
1: Now, back to the Larry Kudlow Show.
2: More talk on the economy with my dear friend, Kevin Hassett, former chair of the Council of Economic Advisors during the Trump administration. Thank you, Kevin.
7: Oh, it's great to be here, Larry. You, you, you know, I'm, I'm out in the country with two of your favorite people, Daphne and Duchess. <laughs> my oh, dog, no. <laughs> That's great. We're, we're at a pod, we're, they're, they're golden retrievers and we're at a pond, and I'm just praying that they don't jump in. <laughs> <laughs> but so it's great to be here. There's so much to talk about. Yeah. Our great pal
2: Larry Lindsay writes, there has never been two consecutive quarters of negative growth that were not ultimately deemed as recessionary. And Kevin guess what Larry came on the TV show yesterday
7: he was terrific yeah, he he doesn't yeah Larry, Larry's an incredible incredible genius there's no yeah. one that knows the economy better than him and and uh, but but actually it turns out that I really dug into the data on this too that that he's he's slightly incorrect uh, but but basically what happened was in 1947 there were two negative quarters that were close to zero in between a recession that was 45-46 at a recession that started in 48. And for some reason, they didn't call those two a recession. But so so, so if you go back to 49, then we're 10 for 10. It's a recession. You have two negative quarters. If you go to 47, there was one time uh, where, where there were two negative quarters. But, but, but they were like... In between two recessions, right? It's, anyway, it's just silly. Everybody, I think, you know, I've actually been thinking about this. Everyone's obsessing over whether the National Bureau of Economic Research is going to call it a recession. I think they should stop doing it, don't you? It's become such a partisan thing. And, yeah. and, and everybody on there, every, you know, I, I really have high regard for Bob Hall and, you know, Christy Romer and all mm-hmm. those guys and the other, the other people on the panel. But the fact is that the idea that the White House could, could protest that we're in a recession, and then you know, sort of wait for the NBER to sort of confirm that okay, this is the first time since the Second World War where we've had you know these two negative quarters. That, but it's not. We're not going to call it a recession. You know, if they did that, then people are going to look at their makeup and say, well, wait a minute. You know, there's like two CEA, you know, Obama CEA people on that panel making mm. this call, and then what? What the? You know, but the National Bureau of Economic Research is supposed to be like science, right? And, and, and I think that it's become politics because of the recession dating. Yeah. I would stop it. But the best recession dating, by the way, there's a guy named Jim Hamilton, um, yeah. and he's, he's got a, a website called like Econo Browser. Mm-hmm. And, and, and he has a, a really fancy model that reproduces the NBER calls, uh, and, and he's been doing it in real time, and he updated it for the latest GDP release. Uh, but he only always gives you an estimate of the recession for, for the previous quarter. And so he says that the probability of recession for Q1 is 37 percent, given the latest data. And for Q2, it'll it'll be, you know, 90% 90% for when he puts that number out, but he needs Q3 data to do it. The bottom line is that Jim Hamilton has reproduced exactly the NBER dates with only GDP data yeah. uh, for every recession since the Second World War. And he updates his thing he, the same day you get the GDP number. So, so he, we don't need to wait a year for the NBER. Just use Jim Hamilton. And, and, and so 37, there's never been a 37% odds of being in recession uh, in Hamilton's model where you didn't then have a recession. Is
2: he still at UC San Diego?
7: Yes, he sure is. He sure yeah. is, and and, and and you know, we we uh, as, as you might recall, he was, he's also a conservative, and we were thinking about mm. uh, potentially uh, bringing him in uh, right. to the White House. Right. Uh, yeah, that's
2: right. So, so, what happens in in the rest of the year? You, you look at the numbers. I mean, I see housing slumping, uh, business investment slumping. I mean, housing's really going down fast. Business investment is slumping, and of course. They're going to slap taxes on business investment if this reconciliation bill goes through. Consumers are slumping. Uh, I saw the Conference Board uh, Confidence Index, Kevin. That looked really bad to me. So right. w- what happens in the, the second half of the year?
7: Oh, it's going to get a lot worse, sadly. And and the the way I think about it, is that the recession that we're in right now uh, is not was not caused by Fed policy because mm-hmm. the Fed only recently started actually taking the action that you and I have been calling for for more than a year. Uh, and uh, the Fed policy is going to start to kick in in the second half of the year. The reason we have a recession in the first half of the year is that we had so much inflation and wages tend to be sticky so that everybody's real income went down. And if real income goes down, then real GDP has to go down, too. And that was just like the sort of beginning of an inflationary recession. But now the Fed has to stop inflation with interest rate hikes. And they're gonna, we're going to have a recession that's as deep as any we've seen. It's going to be like the financial crisis in 08 or, you know, the Paul Volcker one in the 80s. The hope is that it could be V-shaped. And I think it can be. Uh, relatively V-shaped. Like it's going to be, it's going to be a, a U, but hopefully not a wide U. If mm-hmm. Republicans capture the House, I think that there'll be a sigh of relief that all of these crazy socialist policies aren't going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I think that at that point, we might sort of turn the corner and start to head out of the recession.
2: But it looks like inflation is going to be very sticky, and I think that the Fed is going to have to stay tough and continue to tighten. Uh, interest rates and their balance sheet and money supply and all that, I mean, what's your read on that? Wall Street is suggesting, I mean, I think Wall Street is saying, well, we're going to have a recession and the recession is going to end the inflation problem. Um, I don't Mm -hmm. think so. But what do you think?
7: Yeah, I I think that what's going on right now is that inflation is going to start to head down uh, but that it's going to stop around you know, six or seven mm. uh, until the Fed basically induces a deep recession or a, like a financial panic. And the, and the financial panic thing, you know, our old friend Nouriel Rabini is out there you know, being a doomsayer again, and usually he does that and you and I ignore him. But at, at this point, he's actually got a point because there are all these developing countries that have to raise money You know, to keep themselves afloat and and who's going to want to buy like Uruguayan debt while Mm. the U.S. is raising interest rates so much to get ahead of the curve on inflation. Right. And so, like, how much interest is Uruguay going to have to pay to get you to buy their debt? And so, you know, my view is that there's a reasonably high risk that there's like a a wave of uh, developing market defaults Mm. in the second half of this year. Mm. And then that causes markets to get very unruly. And then at that point, the, you know, everything starts to sort of fall apart in a way that's really terrible, but that does get inflation under control. But but again, you know, the, the wage price spiral has started. Uh, we we saw that in the wage data we got this week, and with that, that means that you, you know you're you're not going to be able to get inflation down to the two percent level at least until there's a new president.
2: But you make a key point just to circle back: the recession in the first half. Was not caused by Fed tightening. It was really caused by inflation and and probably a dose of overregulation too. But the Fed impact is in front of us.
7: That's right. That's right. You know. You know. Alan Greenspan used to say that it's like you know steering the Queen Mary, right? <laughs> With mm-hmm. that's what monetary policy does. And uh, you know if anyone's ever tried to steer one of those ships, I know I haven't, but I've driven boats the, the fact is just that they don't turn on a dime mm. and a big one really doesn't turn on a dime and uh, that's what the fed's going to be dealing with uh, they're going to be dealing with it for a good long time you know i, I think that, that it's really stunning to me that congress is making it worse by mm. tax increasing taxes on supply so they're going to push you know we just had a think about it The the Total investment counting housing was down about fourteen percent in the latest GDP release. Just mm-hmm. down fourteen percent. That's a collapse in investment, mm-hmm. and they're about to raise taxes on that. You know, it used to be that Democrats, even Democrats, would would like give you expensing in a recession mm-hmm. because they recognize that investment's very responsive to taxes. But the fact that they're doing the opposite now suggests that there's just you know some kind of weird weird psychosis going on in the economic policy makers of the Democratic Party they're doing everything upside down mm-hmm. and and things that they like you know, it, it was every single recession ever right they they, they we'd get temporary expensing before we got permanent expensing under president trump and and the democrats knew that expensing was a great thing to do in a recession and now they're raising taxes they're doing the opposite Uh, I really don't know what's going on. You know, I I was with a group of uh, elected officials having breakfast up at Capitol Hill a couple weeks ago, and there were people that were legitimately saying, you know, their policies are so bad, I wonder if they're trying to create, like, a collapse so that they can, you know, take over the economy again like they did under COVID. Mm. I don't think that. I think that Mm. they're just making stupid policy (laughs) decisions. But the fact that people are speculating, like, how could they be harming the country so much? You know, so obviously, you know, what what are they thinking? That's the, the point. Yeah. What
2: are they thinking? I mean, look, I think it's fair to say we used to have, a, at least during recessions, you don't raise taxes. Conservatives and liberals would agree with that. Now, they're violating a common sense rule of thumb that's staggering
7: to me. But remember that, that President Obama and, and even John Kerry before him, everybody ran on repeal the Bush tax cuts, repeal the mm. Bush tax cuts, right? Mm. Obama comes in President Obama comes in and there's a recession and what does he do uh, they extend the Bush tax cuts mm-hmm, for two mm-hmm. years do you remember that yes they did yes 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 yeah, even though he ran on repealing the Bush tax cuts he extended them because he was like a sensible guy and he yeah. knew okay the best thing to do now is tax cuts you're the best
2: Kevin has you're the best thank you for giving us some time we really really appreciate it folks we're going to take a break, and then we're going to do some stock market work. We're going to apply the lessons that Kevin Asson just talked about. There's some rough sledding in front of us. Please stick around. After this break, I'm Larry Kudlow. Stock market up next.
1: It's the Larry Kudlow Show. Free market prosperity starts here. Now, here's Larry Kudlow.
2: Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. Great pleasure to be here. Please join us during the week. Fox Business, name the show's Cudlow 4 to 5 p.m. every day. And uh, here you can get us on the Internet, live streaming, LarryKudlowShow.com. Runs throughout the country, overseas, around the world, and throughout the solar system. So we're going to look at the stock market, okay? Stocks actually had a terrific week. Stocks have been in a rallying mode. For the last i don't know the last month or so and what i want to explore with our two distinguished guests is this thesis i mean the stock market is basically saying recession is good recession is good it's going to solve all our problems so let's buy stocks and run them up i don't get that i think that's a very risky strategy i'm a long-term buyer of stocks always have been i'm not a short-term trader I'm not close to it, but I, I, don't, I don't see the logic. I read the reports, and I don't see the logic. So we go to Jim LeCamp, Senior VP Investments at Morgan Stanley, and Joe LaVornia, formerly the Chief Economist of the White House National Economic Council. Gentlemen, welcome back. Uh, Joe LaVornia, I begin with you. Uh, I don't think recession is good for stocks. I don't think recession is good for anything. Uh, but the market's saying all of our problems are going away because we're heading into a downturn. What do you make of this, Joe Livornia?
8: Larry, I, market S and P, I believe. Correct me. I think we're down somewhere around 21-ish uh, from the beginning of the trough. So the bear market, uh, the bear market, the the yield curve, the sharp inversion, basically for the entire curve, is saying we're in recession. But uh, and the and this is market and the bond market are in agreement, at least for now, the Fed is going to pivot sometime soon, maybe about the year at the earliest next year, and they, the markets the equity market is the bond market. I'm trying to see a bit Larry where the Fed may lose the pace of the balance sheet unwind and then begin reducing rates. To me uh, in part why the equity market is where it is, and then the market something and I'm talking now the stock market that any or the recession room will be relatively but, you know, who knows? Uh, that may very well not be the case.
2: Yeah, I mean, I was just on with Kevin Hassett, who thinks we're going to have a continued decline, that the recession is going to deepen, and that inflation um, will come down off the peak, but it's going to be sticky at 6 or 7%. Uh, financial problems are likely to emerge, including emerging markets. I mean, look... Jim LeCamp, this S&P 500 is now down 13% year to date. It was down about 20, 21%. This past week, the Dow was up 946 points, almost 1,000 points. The NASDAQ up 557 and the S&P 500 up 169. Jim LeCamp, I mean, I think the bond market's way ahead of itself, Uh, I I worry about profits, profits are the mother's milk of stocks. I don't see how profits go up in a recession. Um, Some companies did okay, but a lot of companies are showing cracks now in the profit story. What what do you make of this stock market rally?
10: Okay, so first of all, bear market rallies are sharper and more deceptive because they include elements of short covering Mm -hmm. and fear of missing out. Um, And in this case, we had – Unbelievably bearish positioning by hedge funds, by CTAs, by mutual funds, and uh, underinvested on a historic level. Mm. And you had overt bearishness. Also, if you look at the American Association of Individual Investors, those readings are showing historically low readings. So when you eventually, when you wash out all of your short-term would-be sellers, all you have left our buyers and if if you find a reason to buy it can create a sharp rally even if it's a bear market rally Mm. so the reasons were the dollar started drifting a little bit uh... that has been a positive for equities uh... positioning again was way underpositioned uh... on a historic level earnings can't come in not as bad as feared it's not that they're that great it's just that they're not as bad as feared and there was some hint of a potential pivot in the Powell press conference when he talked about where rates might top out. So is it a bear market rally? I think probably it is. Uh, Historically, September, August, uh, early October, that time frame is historically weak, and that's usually in midterm elections when the markets bottom out. So it wouldn't surprise me at all. I think it's even probable that we have one more leg down. But remember, the markets are forward-looking. So, yeah, we're in a recession, and and by technical definition, we're in a recession. But the markets are looking uh, ahead of that. They're looking to the Fed pivot. I just think they're ahead of themselves right now.
2: Yeah, that's my take. Uh, Joe, what is Fed pivot? I think Jay Powell is being very misleading here because the Federal Reserve target for so-called price stability is 2%. Joe, we are not going to get to 2% for a long time i mean that's about that's it there's no magic here we're not going to get there so i think he's i mean if the if the Fed stop if, if they stop their tightening policy with inflation running at six to seven percent i think that would be a huge mistake
8: joe it's funny larry people this from folks telling me that they thought they did a really good job because the equity market went up the equity market goes up and bond yields rally because there's a pivot Financial conditions ease significantly, and the Fed's job actually becomes a lot harder. But, but I think, Larry, you're being too tough on uh, on Jay Powell here. I mean, he's doing the can. The can. Uh, as you know, on the fiscal side and on the side, we've got major problems. Uh, but to me, the market, uh, is the bond market, is just saying, look, in this period, along with with these current policies, we're going to be in this period of basic secular stagnation. And that's perhaps why yields have come down. And the market equity side likes the fact that, From a liquidity perspective and the short covering and the positioning, the market may just be rallying here and it's temporary. But, again, if the economy is a lot weaker than people think, and that's been the trend, then stocks will make another down leg.
2: Yeah, I mean, Joe, you've been calling for a recession. You got it right. You were early, but you got it right. I'm just so surprised at the benevolence of this market. Now, Jim LeCamp, that's a good explanation. You got a lot short covering because the world was expected to go to hell in a handbag so i get that a bear market rally i get that let me ask another question uh uh, jim mccamp i'll go to you i was talking to tyler goodspeed earlier in the show uh former chairman of the council of economic Advisors, very smart guy he said he made the statement that the bond market and you have these um you know tips uh spreads the so-called cpi Mm -hmm. break evens So he said they have a lousy track record of predicting inflation. That was his statement. What do you make of that?
10: I think um, historical models, Larry, um, are uh, going to be very, very muddied up because we have an outrageous amount of debt in our system, more so than we've ever had. So rising interest rates on the short end have a more deleterious effect than they have had historically. I mean, the, the bottom line is we reached a Minsky moment, and it's not working anymore, throwing more debt, and we don't know how to get out of it because our balance sheet has gone from $788 million in 2007 to $9 trillion, with 40% of that happening over the last two years. And and so, yeah, I don't think the bond market knows how to game that. And I don't think the bond market is gaming inflation correctly, to your point, mm. because I don't think anybody is gaming energy prices correctly. Mm. And energy prices are going to be very, very sticky. We've got a major supply problem. You can talk about demand all you want, but the bottom line is we have a major supply problem, and it's being exacerbated by policy. And if energy prices remain this high, even if we have an economic recovery, it's going to be a jalopy. It's not going to be any sort of a sports car, and it's going to be veering all over the road because uh, energy prices are going to remain high. That's going to keep those headline inflation numbers high, and it's going to spoil the best-laid plans of the Fed.
2: You know, uh, we're going to take a break, but I'm looking – uh, at the CRB Futures Index, which I love to look at, it's got everything in there. It's got oil and gas and gold and silver and it's got uh, steel and iron and lumber. It's got everything. So that thing fell a lot um, in uh, May, June, from 350 down to under 300. But in the last week or two, it's bounced back. Yep. It's bounced back, maybe because interest rates have come down so much. And a weaker dollar. And, and the, so the commodity deflation, at least for the moment, appears to have stopped. And that's a warning signal. I mean, I think the inflation problem is going to be a lot stickier than people think. All right, I'll stop blathering on. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, we have Jim LeCamp of Morgan Stanley. We have Joe LaVornia, who was former head economist of the White House Office of National Economic Council. Uh, we'll talk some more about what an investor is supposed to do. I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back, folks.
1: This is The Larry Kudlow Show. Now, back to The Larry Kudlow Show.
2: We're talking stocks, we're talking investment. Jim LeCamp, Morgan Stanley, Joe Lavornias, former head economist of the White House National Economic Council. Joe LaVornia, <coughs> excuse me, in the bond market, you go through the curve, three-month bills and two-year notes, fives and tens. Every single one of those yields, Joe, is negative real interest rate. They're way under the inflation rate. Now I don't see how that can continue. Why would anybody buy a bond? Uh, let's take the two-year note. It's 289 at the close on Friday. Uh, the GDP. Deflator that came out Thursday is 8.9 percent. Okay, how do you how do you square that? The 10 years at 265. I mean, these bonds are so far underwater. I would think nobody would want to touch them.
8: Uh, so I'll give you two reasons, Larry. Structurally, there are a lot of asset there's life insurance, pension funds that have assets, abilities that have that duration. Uh, match So they, they need to buy duration. You need to buy securities, uh, foreign central bank managers. That's sort of the structural reason why there's always a bid in the market, even though fundamentally, they may not seem to offer much value. One, the cyclical bid, which I think more what you're getting at, uh, is due to the fact that when the curve's inverted, it's saying there's going to be a recession. And if you look at all the recessions since the second post-war, the average drop in inflation is around 7% from peak to trough. So the market is basically 9% inflation rate is going to go to 2%, maybe not next year, but probably the year after, because of the recession. Again, it comes down to the recession bet, how deep it is, how long is it. And that's basically where you could argue there's value in the market. Even though inflation is pretty high today, it will be low going forward. And one last point, look, if you look at your five-year break, even not to be too windy, but that does inflation... Is going to be under three percent in the next five years, uh, and of course, P is a bit lower. That's the that's the rationale for the market. Whether it's right or not, that's
10: the rationale.
2: Jim LeCamp, you you agree with that?
10: I think that's the rationale. I don't think the I don't think they're going to do very well with that. As I've said, I think the inflation numbers are going to remain stickier than everybody hopes, Mm -hmm. uh, mostly because of energy, but also because... I mean, look, we still haven't solved Russia and Ukraine, and uh, we're getting a global fight now for natural resources. And uh, bear in mind, natural resources underperformed every sector of the market for about three decades, and so it may be time for this this fight over natural resources, whether it's natural gas or energy or or any of these or food or any of these other things, uh, this is is turning into a political war, and and I think it's going to keep prices higher than we've seen in the past. Also, again, we have more debt in the system, so uh, it, it really begs for a long period of stagflation, and uh, yeah, that that could mean uh, that these bonds are not very good investments. But I do agree with Joe that you have pension funds; they need to buy them it is by mandate. Mm. And 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 some will argue that you know I'd, I'd rather uh, lose money uh, nominally, uh, or not nominally, but to infl- on, a, on a real basis than nominally just uh, for um, purposes, optical purposes. So I, I don't like these bonds; I wouldn't buy them at all. Uh, I might buy some junk bonds right now. I think they're probably undervalued, uh, but only at, only in a fund, only at a discount. Um, I'd, I'd generally stay away from bond funds and the end of bond market.
2: You know, there's a story in the Wall Street Journal this morning. Fight runaway inflation with I-bonds. You know the I-bonds? Right now, they're, they're savings bonds, but they're inflation-adjusted. Uh, so the yield on the I-bond is 9.62%. Now, that's that's okay, all right? That's keeping up with inflation, at least to some extent. I-bonds are very interesting. I don't think anybody really looks at them.
10: Well, you can only buy 10,000. So it's not going to, for most people, it's not going to be something they can retire on. Oh, 10,000.
2: That's no good. Why don't they raise the ceiling? Joe, I, um, I want to come back to what you said. You thinking th- this recession is going to really bring down inflation that much i mean you know joe yeah no re- I,
8: I i did Larry.
2: but but that's isn't that more, you're on the demand side what about the supply side these guys yeah, are well, raising taxes in a recession huh really
8: oh, yeah, raising no, that, taxes so that's, well that's going to kill that'll kill demand and that will keep inflation higher and that does run the risk as we've been talking about of a stagflation environment, yeah. But uh, the, the way I see things is the global economy. Look, the U.S. is not dynamic. Uh, the labor market now is effectively a lagging indicator. Mm-hmm. The U.S. is going to continue to slow. The global economy is weak. China is weakening significantly. Credit creation is drying up. I'm not sure globally where the demand is coming from. If the U.S. and China aren't leading, it Europe is a mess. So, you know, whether inflation, Larry is 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 three next year or four or whatever it might be, my guess is the bond market will stay reasonably bid just because it's expecting that inflation rate to come down. And for the stock market, the stock market has to really see inflation move lower. So I don't think you could see the, the bond market continue to rally and the stock market continue to rally. I'm super optimistic on inflation, and that seems – I'm not super optimistic on inflation, but I do worry about the stock market because I don't like the economy much.
2: Jim LeCamp, what do you – how do you play this? What do you invest in?
10: So right now, you uh, get rid of things that have rallied off the lows that you've been wanting to get rid of. You're, mm. you're the mouse that's getting. Uh, you don't want the cheese anymore. You just want out of the trap. <laughs> um, <laughs> like on, the <laughs> on the next sell off. On the next sell off, which I think bottoms out in late September, early October. Then you look to buy, and and then you probably look to buy these technology names that are beating their earnings or at least not disappointing. And I think you continue to position in energy on any three four day sell offs in the energy space. Yeah,
2: I, I, you know what, I agree on both counts, especially the energy story. I think that people are going to be surprised because I think interest rates are going back up. I think they're going back up, Joe. I think uh, inflation reports are going to be worse than expected. Whatever your estimate is, I think it's going to be worse. And I think the bond market is in ve- very bad positioning shape. I mean, I just – I think it's just way too bullish.
8: Larry, you've become a pessimist.
0: <laughs> well, I
2: am in the, in the short run. I have to be. I mean, look, I'm sitting around here. Uh, I was talking to Kevin Hassett about this. Um who in their right mind wants to raise taxes in a recession and that's what this mansion Schumer reconciliation bill is I mean that is that's going to hurt demand but it's going to hurt supply it's going to hurt investment they're taxing investment capital equipment at the, exactly the wrong time Joe and the thing I mean maybe the bill will be stopped Kirsten Cinema but I think it's going to go through, and so, so it
10: has a nice Orwellian name to it. Yes,
2: yes, yes. I mean, it's incredible. Uh, that's my problem with this uh, with this whole story, fellas. I don't know. Maybe I'm anyway. The cavalry's coming, so you're going to take the house back in early November. So that's that's good. All right, I like that a lot. And the Supreme Court uh, knocked down the EPA, so the regulatory socialism. Uh, is gotten hurt. So that's a plus, all right? I, I like that very much. But short term, the Congress is spending and taxing Jim LeCamp. Spend, they should be cutting spending and cutting taxes and cutting regulations, and they're not
10: when the medicine doesn't work and makes you sicker they keep applying more medicine that's their solution and uh, they they just don't know any other way i mean you have a group of people that don't understand the private sector or they just don't care because they're trying to further consolidate power Mm. but what they have shown is they don't understand markets they've clearly shown they don't understand supply and demand they've clearly shown they don't understand fossil fuel markets and and then policy um, uh, disasters are are, are are causing all of the problems around the world. I mean, Russia-Ukraine is a result of bad policy, and 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 now we have inflation. That's a result of bad policy, and unfortunately, people aren't smart enough uh, to um, elect uh, intelligent, free-market, uh, private-sector well, leadership.
2: I, th- I think it's coming, Joe. They hate capitalism. That's the bottom line. They hate capitalism, doing everything they can to subvert capitalism. Anyway, Jim LeCamp, Morgan Stanley, thank you. Joe LaVornia, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Folks, we're going to take a break and we come back. We're going to do some money and politics with Steve Moore and Liz Peek. Money and politics. I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back.
1: From Wall Street to the White House, this is The Larry Kudlow Show.
2: Welcome back, folks. We're going to go into money and politics. We have Liz Peake, Fox News contributor, syndicated columnist. We have Steve Moore of Works, Committee to Unleash Prosperity, and his book, GovZilla. I want to go right to it, Liz Peake, because you wrote a fabulous column. It is Jerome Powell as wrong on the job market as he was on inflation? Two straight quarters of declining GDP. Now, that does not mean, claims the White House, in a ludicrous effort to spin the bad news, that we are in a recession. Nah, no siree. Just means that, well, we've had two down quarters. Eh, no problem. Then Jay Powell, his press conference, answering reporters' questions, says, No, I do not think the U.S. is currently in a recession. And the reason is there are just too many areas of the economy performing too well. Blah, blah, blah. He, uh, he's got to be... Re- Liz, what is, I don't know, maybe he's, um, I don't know, canna- cannabis, is marijuana legal in Washington? <laughs> what? What is he, look, too many wonderful things? Has he looked at housing? Has he looked uh, yeah. at business investment? Has he looked at consumers? Has he looked at inflation? What is he talking about?
11: Well, honestly, the only thing really that the administration can point to as a win economically is the fact that the job market remains in very good shape. And there's no doubt it does. But I think what worries me is that Jay Powell is sort of saying that is the critical element. We are doing away with concerns about the labor market, even though that's one of our two mandates. Now we are focused solely on uh, on inflation, but Larry, I think we're at an inflection point in the job market. There are all kinds of signals that it's beginning to soften, not just slowly rising unemployment claims, but if you read every uh, announcement and forward looking guidance that's come out of companies reporting earnings in this last couple of weeks, nearly every single one is talking about pausing hiring, stopping hiring. Meta, Meta did it, uh, mm. a bunch of the banks have done it, and a lot of sectors now. We're talking about this uh, hiring frenzy, and that's really what it became, slowing down. So I think Jay Powell has to be very nervous here, very watchful. And if it, not, if it were not for the fact that he so completely missed uh, signals about inflation, I wouldn't be so concerned. But honestly, he seems kind of out, out of touch with real world.
2: Yes, out of touch. There you go. Steve Moore, GDP fell two consecutive quarters. That has never not signaled a recession. You have the president of the United States. You have the treasury secretary. You have the head of the National Economic Council. You have the head of the Federal Reserve in complete denial that the economy is in recession. And you have the Congress passing now, uh, looking for a reconciliation bill that would raise taxes by nearly $800 billion with a special emphasis to raise taxes on business investment and capital equipment. This is insanity, Steve Moore, total, utter insanity.
12: Well, Larry, I mean, I I think that you're missing the point that this um, recession is going to be transitory. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> yes there you go <laughs> uh, look um i i think that the real worry is that uh, by the way i'm calling this a i think i said this on your uh on your kudlow show on tv the other night this is a, this is a cost of living recession um <laughs> yeah. there's a real real um uh damage of what's happened in the last 18 months has been because you know Biden is right, this is a really strong labor market and, and it 's a great time to be looking for a job but uh, people 's you know the the nine percent inflation and five percent wage growth i mean that 's just happening month after month after month after month, and we estimate uh, my friends at the Heritage Foundation estimate the average family you know with about a seventy thousand dollar income has lost about four thousand dollars of purchasing power mm-hmm. in twelve mm-hmm. months that 's a lot that 's a mm-hmm. big big down in people 's income. Now, um, I, I, look, I think this this mansion plan with, uh, with Schumer is diabolical. I think it is evil. I, I cannot imagine that that you could get virtually every Democrat in the Congress to vote for this package, which, as you said, massively increases taxes on our businesses at a time we're in a mild recession. Um, it makes no sense. And by the way, you go back the last 10 years. Barack Obama said never raise taxes during a recession. Right. Uh, Chuck Schumer said never raise taxes during a recession. Um, Joe Manchin said never raise taxes in a recession. And I have to say I am mystified by what is going on with Joe Manchin. I, I, I really don't understand it, Larry, because, uh, it, first of all, it, what is in this bill contradicts and repudiates everything he has said over the last 12 months. Mm-hmm. You know, I, and, and the second mm-hmm. point is, there is no state. What do you think is the biggest loser state in this package?
2: West Virginia,
12: by far, by far. West Virginia this is a dagger in the heart of our of our oil and gas industry. He says, "Oh no, they're going to allow this drilling." We got we got an agreement that they're going to allow drilling. Do you think that the Biden EPA and the Interior Department are going to allow this to happen? They. Hey, this is a death sentence for for our fossil. They're fuels. not going
2: to give him permits. They're not going to give permits. You know that they're not going to do that. Liz, I'm, look, I'm, I've, uh, he broke my heart. I'm breaking up with him, Liz. I'm returning. <laughs> I'm not going steady. I'm returning my fraternity ring to him. That's it. All right? That's the end. No more. Look, remember he said, this is like two weeks ago, he said, I'm not going to vote for these bills until I see the next month's data. Yeah. Now I want to see July's inflation numbers, which would come out in mid-August. Well, guess what? He didn't, he didn't bother to wait.
11: Well, I, mean, I think, I think the congressional that. calendar kind of stepped in the way of that, I guess. But but it—I mean, it is horrifying, and it's also horrifying in conjunction with the $280 billion yes. chips bill, yes. which, by the way, isn't paid for at all. And p- they keep touting $52 billion for semiconductors. It's a $280 billion bill. What's mm-hmm. the rest of it for? Anybody want a hazard to hazard a guess? There hasn't even been any conversation about that. I, I – this is so irresponsible, Larry, and it is so damaging. But I think the point you make about Manchin and this permitting, that's what he is all excited about, I guess. But it's pretty clear that that isn't going to be part of any reconciliation bill. That has right. nothing to do with budget. Mm-hmm. The, I'm Undoubtedly, the Senate parliamentarian, if they try and make that part of the bill, is going to say, no, that's out. And then what? Nancy Pelosi has already indicated she's completely opposed to making permitting easier, even though it is an obvious hang up in our entire, uh, in, you know, industrial complex, we can't build anything in this country because of the insane permitting process. So I agree with the objective, but it's not going to happen.
2: That's why the Chinese communists are going to shoot down her plane.
11: <laughs>
2: God, I tell you.
11: <laughs> yeah. they're,
2: they're furious. That was a joke. Just kidding. Actually, I'm glad she's going to Taiwan.
11: I to, hope she does. Yeah, I'm not so, sure she yeah. will.
2: Yeah, well, they may talk her out of it, but she should hang tough because we need to defend Taiwan. Steve Moore, 18 Republicans voted for the chips bill. 18 Republican senators, Steve.
12: Yeah, I mean, uh, I wrote a column on this earlier this week that, um, you know, the, the Republicans were played by Joe Biden. And yeah. the real question yeah. is whether whether this was kind of a fiendish scheme all along. But uh, think about this, that the um the Republicans voted for the big uh, infrastructure bill, and then they—they they, remember that one was passed back, what about uh, nine, ten months ago? Because we weren't going to have the massive reconciliation bill, and then they voted for the this massive uh, corporate welfare bill because you know we weren't going to have the reconciliation bill. And as soon as that Biden signed the chips bill, the, the, his signature wasn't even dry on the page. Man, uh, Manson. Um, You know, makes the deal. So, (laughs) I'm wondering whether this was all kind of a scheme.
2: In one hour, in one hour after the chips vote, Schumer comes up with a 700 page reconciliation. In one hour,
12: exactly. Yeah. How did he had it right in his back pocket? Right. I mean, that's a good point, Larry. That thing was already written. So the the deal was already cut.
2: Right. And
12: see, I don't know.
2: I, Liz, I interviewed. Uh, Mitch McConnell uh, on Tuesday. I was down in Washington. The show was in Washington. I interviewed Mitch McConnell. So we talked about this and I've I've already expressed my total opposition to the Chipsville, but Mitch's point was, he said, you know, he said, I've been ma- majority leader and I've been minority leader and it's much better to be ma- majority leader. And I said, well, so now here you are. What's your agenda? And he said, well, it's not my agenda. The agenda is set by the majority leader. Now, I don't know who knew what and when, but basically Schumer's jamming this down everybody's throat. And Manchin, yeah. of course, is go along with it. I mean, there's nothing, I, it's really nothing Mitch McConnell can do. I don't know what he knew and when he knew it. But this is because if you're the majority leader, you do these things. It's sheer, raw, legislative power.
11: Well, well, I hear, and you guys have probably better inside information than I do on this. But I've heard insiders say that Kirsten Cinema was furious about the way this went down because she was involved in getting Republicans to sign up on the chips bill by promising them that there was no reconciliation bill in the works. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot of dirty dealing here. As far as Mitch McConnell's concerned, I, I mean, let's be honest here. I'm sure uh, some of these Republicans had uh, represent states, I know they do, where these uh, investments by the semiconductor businesses may be made. So these states want those jobs. They want the investment. Uh, it's hor- I think it was unnecessary. I think there were other ways that these states... Uh, and our federal government could support this industry. But at the end of the day, the industry doesn't need much support. It's right. wildly profitable. Right. It's been on a two or three year binge of right. profit making. So, and by the way, why are they coming to the United States? Well, some like the one, the biggest uh, chipmaker of all is headquartered in Taiwan. Guess what? They may need another source at some point. Mm-hmm. So it isn't like this is just altruistic, that they're building plants in America. They are providing themselves more secure supplies of semiconductor, which, from a business point of view, is obviously what they should be doing.
2: Yeah. All right. We're going to take a quick break. I mean, the, the real the real victim in this Is not Mitch McConnell, it's the American people. Yep. Because here we are in a recession with high inflation, and all they're doing is spending more, which is inflationary. As you say, there's never any pay-fors for this. And secondly, they're raising taxes in a recession, which violates any common sense uh, regarding economic policy. We'll take a break. Uh, Liz Peek. Uh, Fox News contributor and syndicated columnist, Steve Moore, Works, Committed to Unleash Prosperity. His latest book is called GovZilla. I'm Larry Kudlow. We'll be right back.
1: Larry Kudlow. From Wall Street to the White House, this is The Larry Kudlow Show.
2: Welcome back, folks. We've got Liz Peek, Fox News contributor and syndicated columnist, and Steve Moore. FreedomWorks Committee to Unleash Prosperity, and his book is GovZilla. Um, kids, I want to just lay this out. I had a great conversation earlier in the show uh, with Kellyanne Conway, who is as smart a political advisor as there is. Uh, basically, uh, Steve, I'll talk with you. Um, the two biggest issues here, She, I guess she met with the Republicans about their um, contract with America, or whatever it's being called. Um, crime and economy, economy, meaning inflation, recession, crime and the economy. That is her advice. Uh, the crime issue has gotten back, I think, front and center. Trump gave a speech mostly about crime because a good speech, uh, Tuesday at the, um, America first policy summit. Uh, what do you think, Steve crime and economy? Is that going to do it for the GOP or has the GOP undercut itself on the economy with all these spending bills?
12: Well, uh, yeah, I like crime and the economy as two top priorities, no question. The Democrats are incredibly vulnerable on that. And I would add a third one is, you know, the border. Incidentally, I mean, here's just here's a, a, an example of how uh, you know completely wacky the Democrats' priorities are. They want to spend in this bill $300 billion on more green energy subsidies and for uh, the, the border folks tell me with for $3 billion we could secure our border. So yeah. they want to spend a <laughs> hundred <laughs> times more money on uh, on that than, than something that would actually help the economy. Now, your question, though, is really an important one. Will – I think Republicans have lost a lot of credibility on the fiscal responsibility issue and mm-hmm. the anti-big government issue because they – many of them voted for that absurd – uh, infrastructure bill. And, and then you had what? how many was it in the Senate uh, that eventually uh, 16, 17, 18 Republicans voted for that uh, for that um, sham uh, corporate welfare bill that we were just talking about. That's a problem, because I, when I talk to, you know, conservative leaders and, you know, people who run a lot of the sort of grassroots organizations, the one, number one kind of question on the mind of a lot of voters is, yeah, these Biden people are horrible. No question about it. The Pelosi and Schumer have to go. But they say, but will Republicans do anything different? Mm. And when they see Republicans voting for these big spending bills, that puts a lot of question marks in people's minds, although I still think it's going to be, I think you're looking at it epic. I, I think if they pass this bill, Larry, I think this is going to be bigger than 94. That's mm. how angry the American people are.
2: But, Liz, um, undoubtedly Steve is right. But Republicans, particularly the Senate Republicans, because that's up for grabs. I mean, Mitch McConnell said to me it's going to be 50-50 in the election. He said it's going to be one vote either way. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. what he told me. That was his forecast. So you know, Whether he's right or wrong, that's what he said. But, Liz, the question is, Republicans, it seems to me, have got to make this reconciliation bill with all of its taxes and all of its spending. They've got to make a big deal about how bad this is. They cannot go quietly here. If they go quietly, they will have missed their last opportunity on economic policy and that the chip spill they passed really did undercut their credibility. So can they do that? Can they communicate to the public that we will not let this happen ever again?
11: Well, they can make that promise. I don't think people will believe them. But honestly, I don't think people are so focused on bills that are passed. They're focused on how much meat costs in the grocery store. And Mm -hmm. I think Republicans have to keep hammering home that more government spending leads to higher prices. That's a Mm -hmm. message that got out pretty early, and Mm -hmm. I think it's a winning one. I just read uh, Donald Trump's speech, uh, stem to stern. It's a long speech. And, yeah, a lot of it was about law and order. And as I was reading it, I was thinking, you know what? He always has good antennae. Maybe this is Kellyanne uh, pushing him in this direction. But I think at the end of the day, what does every single person in this country want? They want to feel safe. They want to feel safe in their neighborhood. They want their kids to be safe. I think law and order is incredibly important, Mm. and particularly because Democrats have done so much to undermine it, uh, done so much to undermine our cops. And uh, our border and so forth. So I think it's a really winning thing. That and inflation. That's what they need to be talking about.
2: Yeah, no, I think that's right. I I think that's right. Stay with the generic issues. You know, Steve Moore, I had Steve Miller on the TV show last night and, um, and you know, he contributed a lot to that speech. And I, I think Trump is right on crime. All right. That's just, I mean, Kellyanne basically saying the same thing. She's adding uh, you know, breadbasket stuff, kitchen table stuff on the economy, lives in the groceries. You're right. But crime is probably the the biggest issue right now. You read in the papers every day. Outrageous things are happening. You see the story in the New York. Uh, you know, the, the kid was uh, jumping the subway turnstile and then he had a fight with the cop and he took him down, took the cop down. And then they arrested him and they released him in four hours. Just released him back on the streets, and he had a he had a record after before that. So, Steve, I, did did Trump get it done? Did he, you know, make a big footprint in his first speech in Washington?
12: Yeah, it was a very good speech, and I I, I didn't see the whole thing. <laughs> I don't think how many people watched the whole thing, but I I, I was also pleased that he didn't spend a lot of time, uh, you know, obsessing about the election. hooray! Yeah. Finally, yeah. we've got forward-looking policies. Um, look, Prime, definitely. I mean, I agree entirely with Liz. Uh, as you guys know, I'm from Chicago. You know, it's so sad. You can't walk down the Miracle Mile now, one mm-hmm. of the great shopping districts in America, right on Michigan Avenue, without you know looking over your shoulder. Um, and uh, that's why I mentioned this last week. That's why Ken Griffin, the owner of one of the biggest businesses in uh, in the Chicago area, moved out. He said, mm-hmm. "Yeah, taxes were a problem," but he said. I didn't feel like my workers were safe getting to the office. Mm. And so, you know, Liz is so right about this. And one other quick point about crime. Larry, crime is a tax.
2: Yes. Yeah, that's right. Yes, absolutely. That was the Rudy Giuliani argument, remember? He said, we've got to make the city safe again. It's like a tax cut. And I think that's that's 100% right. So, Liz, do you think Trump got it done? You like the speech.
11: I did like the speech. He did go back to the election, but I think that's, you know, and I don't know how long it was. It had to be an hour long. I'm sure that was, you know, 20 seconds of it or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was very harsh uh, on law and order, t- you know, talking about murder, uh, executing drug dealers and stuff. But really, as you read through it and read his sort of rants about what Democrats are doing about crime and how they've destroyed our city, you just kind of felt your anger having a vessel. And, the, and this is what happened in 2016. Trump became the vessel mm-hmm. for a lot of anger and frustration uh, amongst not just people on the right, but people in general. And I think, gosh, if he can keep – first of all, right now, he needs to get involved in the congressional elections. He mm-hmm. needs to get these people across the finish line in Ohio and, and Georgia and Pennsylvania, places where he backed the candidates strongly and made them the candidates. Uh, because if we don't get majorities in the mm. House and Senate, yeah. mm. there's very little that Republicans can do.
4: Steve, well, I'm worried about
11: you, yeah, huh? Can I just say one other thing about yeah, crime? Yeah, sure, sure. sure. Um, th- who are
12: the victims of crime? Minorities. Mm-hmm, Minorities. are, true. And they're the ones who want the police. They're the ones who want law and order uh, and safety. And so this is a great opportunity for Rep- Republicans to you know, win big, big. Um, gains with well, they're already winning big gains with um, with the uh, Hispanics.
11: Hispanics, yeah. Right.
12: But I think, but with black, I wouldn't be surprised if Republicans win a, uh, a record high uh, black vote. Now they're not going to win the majority, but I think they could really dig into the Democrats' big lead with with uh, blacks, especially black women who who are really opposed to crime. I'm worried about Georgia. Yeah, uh, I am. Well, Herschel. It turns out that Herschel. You know, uh, he's a he's a icon in the state of Georgia, uh, one of the probably the most famous person in the state, but he hasn't been a good candidate yeah. and he keeps mu- making muffs uh, and uh, he's fumbling the football. <laughs> yeah, he <is. laughs> So I still he think, is. by the way, I still think he's going to win, but uh. it's this is no this is no uh, slam dunk. It should be a slam dunk because was it Warnock is, you know, Warnock yeah. is a complete left wing. Uh, crazy, so I still am going to put my money on Herschel, but it, it is not going well. It, it's not going smoothly. I'm worried, Liz, about
2: Pennsylvania.
11: I am too. Menendez I mean, is behind. Y- yeah. You know, in all three of these races. By the way, I don't know if you've seen the fundraising reports for the second <laughs> quarter. Huge, hugely being outraised uh, by Democrats. I think there is probably epic amount of billionaire out of state money going. To Oz, I mean to uh, Herschel Walker, mm. opponent Raphael Warnock, who raised I think seventeen million dollars, which is like three times what Herschel Walker raised. It, the money's enormous, and I think people need Republicans, frankly, need to start paying attention to these races yeah. uh, because we're getting out outspent here a lot.
2: Steve, you know who was good? Um, I had Adam Laxalt on the show, on the TV show, mm-hmm. and he was really yeah. sharp. I was so impressed. Yeah, no, he's a great
12: candidate. By the way, keep it up. But some of these races in, in blue states, I think Republicans have a chance of picking up some yeah. some upsets. Yep. Liz Peak,
2: Steve Moore, you're both wonderful. Thanks. Folks, I'm Larry Kudlow. We will be back next weekend. Thanks for listening.